Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we are glad that you are with us. How are you this morning? How are you this morning, church family? Check me out. I'm wearing short sleeves. I don't usually start with superficial topics like the weather, but did you get a load of the 64 degrees and balmy coming this afternoon? I think it's weird. Don't be fooled. Yeah, don't be fooled. I, oh, I know about fake spring, false spring, first spring, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, no, I think it's weird. Wasn't it just two weeks ago I was in Redmond, it was negative seven. That's what winter is. <laughs> yeah, give it a week. Welcome to Oregon, right? Grab your Bibles and open with me to Luke chapter 3. You are going to see that we, or you have seen on the screen, that we are continuing in our study in the gospel according to Luke, but the title of our series has changed. We've kind of moved out of the Christmas season. What? Oh, I'm supposed to say K through 5. Kids, you're dismissed. If you're at K through 5, a student, you are heading back there with our leaders and headed to class. Thank you for waving me down, friends. Just oblivious and doing my thing. So where was I? Oh, yeah. So we're continuing in our study of the gospel according to Luke, but we have changed the theme, the title of our message to Upside Down Kingdom. And we're going to discover along the way here in future weeks as we study Luke why the series is called The Upside Down Kingdom. We'll discover that together as we get going. Um, But for now, I'll just say this. I love that one of the songs we sang together a few moments ago uh, included the words, This is our God, King Jesus. Because as we study the gospel according to Luke, as we think about who Jesus is and what it means to live in his kingdom... Um, we're going to be reminded this morning in our scripture this morning that to be part of God's kingdom, you must know the king. To be part of God's kingdom, you must know the king. And so we lifted our voices a few minutes ago and proclaimed, this is our God, King Jesus. So um, I had you turn, hopefully you got your Bibles on your lap open to Luke chapter 3 or a, or a device on your phone, uh, turn to Luke 3, and we'll start reading there in just a moment in the scriptures. But let me just say this first. This morning's passage includes uh, John the baptizer preparing the way for Jesus. And when you hear that, or when you hear this, that our passage today includes uh, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. Those are a couple of things that we're going to look at, study, you read in our scripture passage today. And I just want to caution us, perhaps, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but perhaps some of us hear those little glimpses of what's coming in the scripture and think to ourselves, eh, I've heard that one. I'm familiar with that story. I know the deal. And so then what would be the danger in that? Help me out. What would be the danger there? Tune in out, check out, fall asleep, go, I've heard this before. Hmm, let me think about what I'm prepping for the Super Bowl party. That, no. What is the danger with the familiarity sometimes for some, and, and perhaps not all, there might be some familiarity with these passages or with these stories, these, these true stories from Scripture. And the danger with that familiarity, I think, would be 
to, you know, to wonder, um, do I have something to learn here still? Is there still something new that God has for me in his word? Or the danger would be thinking that we've already somehow arrived. Do you ever arrive as a Christian? We say around here that Faith Church exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Are you already a fully devoted, fully developed, fully formed, fully sanctified follower of Jesus? So if, if not, then what does that mean? We got a ways to go. We're, we're in process. God's working on us. Right. And so be careful with the familiarity of Scripture sometimes because when the Bible speaks... And that's where we're at this morning, is looking into God's word, keeping our finger in the text of the scripture. When the Bible speaks, God has something for us, whether you think you've heard it before or not. And actually, what's kind of fun and unique about today's passage is, yes, we are going to have the Bible, God's word, speak to us. But in today's passage, heaven speaks. You think we ought to listen up? We listen to God's word, and we tune in when heaven speaks, for sure. Let's see what God's word has to say for us this morning. Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, And this is also during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. In in that setting, in that period of history, verse 2 says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So, if you've been with us as we've been studying Luke, starting at the beginning of the gospel according to Luke, we've heard about the birth of John, we've heard about the birth of Jesus, and now chapter 3 picks up the story of John again. This is son of Zechariah, this is a cousin of Jesus's, and this is the John who we kind of, in, 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 in just trying to um, be familiar with who we're talking about, we've come to know him sometimes as John the... Baptist, and if that confuses you because we're trying to, does that describe the kind of church he goes to? No. I like to say John the Baptizer. It's a, it's a descriptor, right? It's just helping us know which John are we talking about here. We're talking about the prophet who came to prepare the way for the Lord, John, son of Zechariah, cousin of Jesus, John the Baptizer. And, and what's significant, though, though it maybe seems like a small detail, what's significant about that first verse that you just read is that Dr. Luke, the author of this gospel, the author of this biography about the life of Jesus, Dr. Luke, yet again, in true historian fashion, wanting to establish you in the truth, in the reality of history, puts this story right in the middle of five, he he names five different Roman rulers, so you can get your bearings in real life true history, and he tells you who the, the high priest was at the time. So that's a significant point. Verse 3. And he went into all the region, John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John begins to share this message, and, and it's characterized here as proclaiming a message of, of a baptism, a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And so quickly, let's just get in our minds again. What is repentance? Repentance involves both turning away from our old life, turning away from our sinful nature, turning away from going our own way, rebelling against God. Repentance includes both turning away and turning to, turning, to our, turning away from our old life and our sinful ways in rebellion against God and turning to Jesus, turning to God for rescue, for forgiveness. Uh, we, we, repentance involves both turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus in obedience to see what God has for us. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, so here Dr. Luke quotes, begins to quote from the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So he applies the the prophets in Isaiah's words to, the, to John the baptizer, that John the baptizer's role is to prepare people, to go ahead of people and to prepare them for the coming rescuer, the promised Messiah, the long-promised rescuer of God's people. And John the baptizer's role is to go before and to point people to that coming uh, rescuer. Verse 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every, still, still reading from the prophet, he's still, Luke still quoting Isaiah, verse 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse 18, we're not going to, uh, if, we, if we glance down at verse 18, we see that John the baptizer's message, his preaching, is referred to as good news. And yet, kind of here at the beginning of the chapter, it might seem kind of surprising because John the baptizer's message includes uh, letting us know that we're sinners rebelling against God. His message includes telling us to repent, to turn away from sin. His message includes letting us know that, that there is judgment coming that will separate those that know God and who don't. That's the glimpse we get at the beginning of the chapter of John the baptizer's message, and yet verse 18 says that his preaching is good news. Why? Well, let me suggest this. Because people blinded by sin will be able to see God's salvation. Look at that quote again at the end of verse 6. That in, as, the, as John the baptizer comes and calls us to repentance and points to the coming rescuer, he's saying all will see the salvation of God. People blinded by their sin will be enabled to see God's salvation. And to, to be prepared to receive God's gift of salvation to receive God's gift of salvation, we need to see, be pointed to, and to see Jesus, and to be prepared to receive Jesus. And now we're talking about heart, our status of our hearts. Repentance, turn away from sin, and turn to Jesus. It's not just intellectual knowledge that's needed. It's not just knowing a little bit about Jesus that's needed. It's not just a little bit of religion or going to church or doing religious things or trying to be a good person that's needed. What's needed is a heart change. It is a heart that is prepared to receive Jesus as king. 
But you know what has to happen in one's heart, including mine, before we can receive Jesus as king? we got to take ourselves off the throne. Because we live as if we are king of our life. To be prepared to receive Jesus, God's salvation, we have a, a person's heart must be receptive and open. Verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, look at what he's worried that people will say to themselves about where their hope comes from, about where their salvation comes from. And, and we may not relate to these very words, but let's check. He says, do not begin to say to yourselves, oh, well, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, we're in God's family because we're his chosen people. Then he goes on, for I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, our heritage, our ancestry is not enough. What does that look like to us today? I still think there's, there's dangers here in, oh, you know, my parents were Christian, so I must be. I've always been around church, so I must be good. But our heritage, our ancestry is not enough. Going to church, we already said this a minute ago, that religious acts, that, that trying to hard to be a good person is not what's at stake here. The fruit of repentance that John is talking about there is to turn away from our sin and to turn to Jesus for salvation. That's the fruit of repentance. Not, not sucking it up, not trying harder, not appearing good on the outside but to acknowledge the reality of our sinful brokenness, our rebellion against God, our tendency to go our own way, our tendency to be king or queen of our own lives and say, I can't do it, I can't rescue myself, turn away from that, and to turn to Jesus. This is our God, King Jesus. Verse 9. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear this good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There, there is the reality throughout scriptures. There's so much hope in, in God's story in the Bible. From front to back, the Bible is a story of God setting about to rescue a people for himself. Is there good news in these pages? But there's also the reality that, that, that with the return of Jesus comes judgment that will separate one kind of person from another. There is judgment for those who don't respond to Jesus. The issue uh, to, to his, John the Baptizer's listeners are being encouraged to be baptized. But what they're hearing is that the issue really isn't so much about baptism, it's about my heart and my readiness to set myself as king aside and to turn to King Jesus. And sometimes we wrestle with the realities in Scripture of a coming judgment, that there will be some that will be saved by God and some who won't. And sometimes we wrestle with that, and sometimes we find it difficult. But let me remind you, can, even judgment can be good news. Even judgment can be good news. Why do I say that? Because where there is judgment, there is also an offer of mercy of God having mercy, on God extending his grace, on God 
offering the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And the crowds asked John the baptizer, this is great, I love this section, because I think we can look at these examples and think very practically about where you are in your life. What is it that you do? Vocationally, I might say, but that can be paid or unpaid. What is it that God has put on your plate? What are the roles that you have? Student, employee, mom. Uh, Again, roles, vocations, paid or unpaid, What has God given you to do? And then let's look at these verses and go, what does this look like for my example, for, for where I'm at in life? Verse 10, and the crowds asked John the baptizer, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. There's very practical. And then here's the practical about our roles. Verse 12, Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. So these tax collectors had some power. Their their power could have been used for ill. It could have been corrupt. In fact, maybe that's what people were experiencing at that time. But instead, he, he says, they say, what do I do? And so John the baptizer says, if you want to live in the ways of Jesus, this is what it looks like for a tax collector. Don't take more than you need to. Soldiers, verse 14, also asked John the baptizer, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. I love these practical examples of people asking John the baptizer, okay, what does it look like in my life to repent? What does it look like to walk with Jesus? And he gives them some specifics to their specific circumstances. And here's what, church family, are you ready for this? Here's what I want us to see here. Repentance isn't just about, well, uh, I know I'm supposed to turn away from sin, so I'm just going to avoid the world entirely in hoping that I won't sin. Now, Sometimes we're tempted to that. The world is sinful and broken and hard to navigate, and we know our hearts, and we know our proclivity to sin and go our own way and, re- and rebel against God. And so we could be tempted to go, well, then I'm just going to hide from the world in, in hopes that that helps me not sin. That's not the point. Repentance doesn't mean we avoid the world to avoid sinning. It means we live in the world in a new way, in Jesus' way. Repentance means we turn away from our sin and turn to Jesus. It means instead of living for self, we live for Jesus. Instead of living in darkness and and sin, we we walk in his light. Instead of, what were the examples of of the jobs we just looked at? Instead of living out my vocation in this possibly corrupt way and using my power to get this over people, I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to live out my role in the ways of Jesus. What does that look like for you? Each of you, in the season of life you're in, in the vocation you have, in the roles you have, what does it look like to turn away from King Self and turn to King Jesus? And the other thing we see in those verses is that as we are transformed by Jesus, our way of relating to others is transformed. 
God honors those who honor others. And so John the baptizer's teaching to those people, asking him, what do we do? His teaching is, as you are transformed by Jesus, you're going to treat others differently. You're going to care about others. You're going to look out for others instead of always looking out for ourselves and what's best for us and thinking only of our opinions and what we think is the right way to go. We're going to consider the needs of others. Verse 15. As the people, so here, here's all these people listening to, to the prophet John the baptizer. God at work in him, speaking powerfully to the crowds. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John the baptizer, wondering whether he might be the Christ, meaning, I wonder if he's this promised rescuer. I wonder if he's the one that was sent to save God's people. And listen, and listen, it's clear from scripture that John the baptizer is a great prophet. There was 400 years of silence from the prophets, and now John is there, proclaimed, spirit-empowered, proclaiming God's message. There's no doubt that John the baptizer was a great prophet. Jesus himself says about John the baptizer that John is great among men. Whoa, that seems like a pretty legit compliment. John the baptizer was great among men, but listen, when people start to wonder, is he a rescuer? Is he the Lord? John says, make no mistake, Jesus is greater. John the baptizer cuts that off quick. John the baptizer doesn't want anybody assuming that he's the Lord. He knows that his role is to prepare the way for the Lord. He knows that his job is to point people to Jesus. And so he says in verse 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. And here's the great prophet, the one who Jesus says is great among men. But listen to him as he tries to talk about the one he is pointing to. The one who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John doesn't think he's worthy to do something a slave would do for someone when he thinks of who Jesus is. He might be great, but he's pointing to the greatest. John might be strong, but he says there's a stronger one, the strongest one. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The one who is coming, the one that John is pointing to, the mightier one, will bring a judgment that separates one kind of person from another. John, though, knowing that, points us to the stronger one. John says there's a reality coming where your heart will be examined, where your readiness to receive salvation, where your readiness to follow Jesus, where your readiness to repent, where your readiness to set aside self and turn to Jesus will be evaluated. And so John points us to the stronger one who brings salvation. And so over and over again, as we study God's word and over and over again, church family, as we gather together on a Sunday morning to study from God's word, we have the opportunity to put our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and for salvation and for life 
real life now and life with him forever. To know, to be part of God's kingdom, you got to know the king. This is our God, King Jesus. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. I want to follow that example of John as well. First of all, John wants you to turn to Jesus. And even in those of us that have considered ourselves to be followers of Jesus for, for, a, for some time, it's still an invitation, it's still a challenge from John the baptizer to each of us this morning to turn to Jesus. Not just once way back when, but every day for every need that you have to turn away from self and turn to Jesus. That's first and foremost what John wants us to hear from his message, but also, I want to I learn from his example of pointing others to Jesus. Fully devoted followers of Jesus also point others to Jesus. As you are being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, God is going to ask you and use you and empower you and fill you with his spirit so that you can be proclaimers of the greatness of Jesus in your spheres of influence, in relationships that you already have. God, by his spirit, wants to use you, work in you, work through you to be a proclaimer of the greatness of Jesus and to be a conduit of God's love to those around you. I want to be, let's, let's all be together, church family, like John the baptizer and point others to Jesus. So verse 18 says, So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, for, yeah, for his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. There's a whole story there. There's a whole background there. But what's interesting to me is that Herod, instead of facing his sin, just got rid of accountability oh, someone's going to question whether what I'm doing is right or wrong. Someone's going to point out my sin to me. Someone's going to try to help me in my walk with God. I'm just going to get rid of accountability. I'll put the guy in jail and keep living the way I want. We have an opportunity as we walk with Jesus to embrace accountability, to seek it, to put it in place in our lives, and then by the grace of God be willing to listen to it when confronted by it. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized. Gives us just a couple minutes now to think a little bit about baptism. Uh, And there's so much that we could say about baptism. But baptism has a lot of meaning. And we could look elsewhere in scriptures and we consider what what is baptism all about. And we could see that baptism has a significant symbolic um, meaning of of, of being washed. Uh, It's a picture of being washed from our sin. Now, does it actually wash the sin off into the water? No, it's a symbol, it's a visual, right? Where does our sin, forgiveness, and salvation come from? Only through following Jesus Christ. 
Our salvation is found as we give ourselves and give our trust and and, and entrust ourselves to knowing and following Jesus. That's where salvation comes from. That's where forgiveness of sin is coming from. And yet baptism is a significant spiritual milestone in our lives because one of the things is it's a visual of, of being washed, of being made clean. We also talk all the time around here about the visual that baptism is of identifying with Jesus. And you think about the actual physical act of baptism. We identify ourselves with Jesus as we are lowered under the water. We are identifying ourselves with his death. To, we we, we are, are dead to our old self and our old sin, and we are raised up out of the water to new life with Jesus. And so baptism is also rich in symbolism there as we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And then here's, here's the one I want us to ponder just for a minute. We don't talk about this as much, but baptism also marks our inclusion into something. We use baptism to, to, to mark our inclusion into the body of Christ. Again, baptism isn't what saves you. You are saved by putting your trust in Jesus. But then we obey Jesus and we go through with baptism to, to, to proclaim to everyone publicly, I am a Jesus follower. And, and, we are, and that kind of is our public mark of being included into the body of Christ, into the family of believers. And so what's the deal then with Jesus being baptized? Does Jesus need to be baptized? Not, not the way we do. Not as in symbolic of being uh, washed of sin, because did Jesus sin? No, Jesus, fully man, fully God, lived in this world, lived and, and understood our lives and experienced our temptations, and yet was without sin. He lived the sinless life. So Jesus doesn't need baptism in terms of, of some kind of washing of sin. He, he doesn't... But listen to how powerful this is. He identifies with us. He's, he's including himself in humanity. God, God, the great and mighty and holy God, creator of the universe, willingly stoops himself into humanity. The holy and perfect and majestic God who could stay on high if he wanted in all his splendor, instead willingly stoops and subjects himself and enters into humanity. Jesus, I think one of these beautiful things about Jesus himself being baptized is he's identifying himself with us. And he's saying, you know what? I'm with them. I'm going to identify myself with them so that I can represent them and so that I can take their punishment on myself and so that I can forgive them and so that I can rescue them and so that I can transform them. Is that good news? Though sinless, Jesus chooses to identify himself with sinful us. He became one of us so that he could take our place and our punishment. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and he was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And here's where heaven speaks. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. 
with you I am well pleased. We, we gather together on Sundays and we look to God's word to speak to us. I hope and pray, followers of Jesus, that you are in God's word regularly on your own, asking God to speak through his word. And here we come in a passage of scripture of Bible speaking to us. And not only is the Bible speaking to us, but the heavens open and the voice of God speaks. And we ought to say, what, what does he have to say? This is an incredible divine endorsement of who Jesus is. Jesus is the unique son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and to be part of God's kingdom, you must know the king. Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word together. We are thankful, God, that you have given us the gift of your word, the Bibles, that we can look to you, that we can hear from you, that we can be reminded of your goodness to us, your love for us. God, would you cause us to be people who hunger for your word? Would you make us people of your word that look to you by studying your scriptures? And God, we are thankful in this scripture passage today that, that heaven speaks, that you speak, and that you tell us about your son. And so, Father, we are thankful this morning that you sent your son that you did not stay distant from us, that in your majesty and in your sovereign power, creator of the universe, we are thankful that you sent your son, that instead of staying apart from us, you came to us, that in Christ you came into our worlds, that you identified yourself with us to represent us, to take our punishment, to forgive our sins, to rescue us, and to transform us. I pray that we would take opportunity now and today and every day to heed, heed the gospel preaching of John the baptizer too, that we, would, that we would regularly repent of sin, turn away from our sinful selfishness and turn to Jesus. God, I pray that would be true in my life For everyone listening this morning, we repent. We go our own way. We want to do what we want to do. We think our way is the only way. We think what's important is the only thing that's important. We sin, we go our own way, we, we rebel against you. God, we repent of living for self. We repent of living as king of our own lives. And we turn to Jesus. Thank you, God, for your son. Thank you for the cross, the pivotal moment of history, the we thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible for us to be rescued from sin, to be saved into your family, and to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Father, as we repent, we also, that includes turning to you, turning to Jesus. Teach us what it looks like to surrender, to give our hearts and our lives in obedience to Christ. Teach us what it looks like to daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, 
submit to Jesus, not just when convenient. And Father, I do pray that as you transform us more and more into the image of Jesus, as we become increasingly more and more devoted followers of Jesus, I pray that that would include a work that you would do in us and through us of of pointing others to Jesus, pointing others to life in Jesus. God, use us to be proclaimers of Jesus' greatness and conduits of your love, not so that we get the glory, but so that you get all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.